The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. MyBookie is offering you a chance to wager your deposit amount just one time and then cash out. Most books don't let you do that. MyBookie will if you use my promo code, Kevin DC. It's perfect with March Madness right around the corner. If you just want to bet the tournament, uh, it will allow you to uh, make an initial deposit, wager that deposit amount one time, just once, and then you're eligible to cash out quickly. MyBookie.ag, promo code Kevin DC. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Two guests on the show today. Uh, Thor Nystrom covers the NFL draft and college football for Fantasy Pros. We've had Thor on the show in the past. He will join us. Uh, It's an early look at the draft, but I want to talk quarterbacks, especially um, discuss with him what he thinks will be there at 16, uh, if uh, any of the four quarterbacks will slip that far, and if not, what will be. I'll also get his thoughts on where he had Sam Howell Uh, before last year's draft. And then we will shift gears, major shift in gears, to my friend Jimmy Patsos. Uh, I love when we have Jimmy on. The conversation takes many twists and turns. Uh, I will tell you that um, per usual, because I've already recorded it uh, with Jimmy, um, that half of what I wanted to get to, we never got to. Uh, but that just leaves more to get to the next time he's on. Uh, but for you Maryland basketball fans, for you college uh, basketball fans, lots of good conversation with Jimmy. Same for you Wizards fans as well. Jimmy, of course, covers the Wizards for NBC Sports Washington. He's part of that pregame, in-game, uh, halftime, and postgame show. Uh, on uh, occasion. Uh, so Jimmy will be on after we have Thor Nystrom on. Um, Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk said something this morning that I'm going to play for you in a moment, and it deals with Lamar Jackson to Washington. But before I get to that, let me first say that Ben Standig reported uh, earlier today that the commanders will use the franchise tag on Deron Payne. No shock there. They've got, I think, until March 7th to get it done. Um, I don't know how Deron will handle it. 
Uh, I also don't know what will be said to Duran uh, when they slap the franchise tag on him, whether or not they'll indicate to him that once the once the ownership situation gets settled, that maybe they will look at long-term uh, deal with him. Uh, but Ben did report that the team does uh, intend to use the franchise tag on Duran Payne. Also, Alex Ovechkin back in town um, after uh, heading back uh, to uh, lay his father to rest, uh, but he is back with the Caps um, and should be available for the game tomorrow night against Anaheim. The Caps lost again. They've lost five in a row. They lost to the Red Wings uh, last night. They are in big trouble. Um, they've got a couple of games with Anaheim, the worst team in the NHL coming up. They're going to have to win some of those games because even in the standings where the Caps are, and they're only two points out of a playoff spot, but a lot of the teams they're battling with have played fewer games. Uh, they have really struggled to score. I had Ben Raby on the radio show this morning, uh, part of the Caps, you know, pregame, in-game, post-game show. Ben's a great guest. We've had him on the pod before. If you want to listen to that and you're a Caps fan, Ben was outstanding. Um, you can listen to that at the team980.com. By the way, also props to Brenda Freeze and the Lady Terps. They blew out Iowa last night in a number six versus number seven matchup at Xfinity Center. What's notable about it is Caitlin Clark, the leading scorer in the country for Iowa, had 42 in a blowout win over Maryland a couple of weeks ago. Terps held her to 18 last night in uh, a big-time revenge game for the Lady Terps. Um, So I'm happy about that uh, for them. All right, um, before I get to this Mike Florio thing, uh, I got this tweet from Victor. You can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Sheehan DC. You can tweet uh, me at Kevin Sheehan DC. And I thought that this was a very thoughtful, um, thoughtful tweet, not because he compliments me at the beginning. It's actually the end um, that is thoughtful. Um, but Victor writes, uh, quote, I appreciate your honesty on the hiring of Eric Bieniemy the last few days. I agree that it's pretty obvious that Washington was the only place willing to take a chance on him other than the Chiefs. But looking at it the other way, is it possible that Washington, too, didn't have many options other than Biennemi? I actually think that's such a great point, and I usually think about flipping it around and looking at it the other way, but I didn't. You did. Um, And I think it really makes sense to look at it that way. Because there are a lot of people that are saying, why would Biennemi come to Washington? Well, I've said, well, he didn't really have any other choices, which I'm pretty sure is true. Uh, John Kime was on with me this morning um, and said the same thing. Now, whether or not he could have gone back to Kansas City or not, I think Andy Reid would have had to take him back. Um, But that's the reason he's in Washington, is essentially... Washington was the only place for him that wanted him and was willing to offer him uh, the gig. Um, but uh, why uh, was was Washington kind of in a bind? You know, the people that they had looked at that maybe they had interest in, you know, a guy like Thomas Brown who ended up in Carolina. Did those people es- essentially say, yeah, I don't want to come to Washington. I mean, they're, they've got an ownership change going on. Ron Rivera's a lame duck. I mean, this is a one-year gig. And if I don't get it done in one year, I'm gone. 
I mean, it's one year with a quarterback that is totally unproven or I'm out of there. I think that's a really good way to look at it because I think people with options have always basically turned away from Washington. You know, there are occasional um, instances here and there where, you know, it's been uh, Washington's been able to, you know, keep John Allen here. That's a that, that's probably the biggest they drafted him, and then they kept him here with a long-term deal. You know, a player like John could have gone to a much better organization. Now, he's from here, and there are a couple of other examples, but for the most part, you know, everybody in the league agents will tell you that if someone has choices, Washington is at the bottom of the list or certainly near the bottom of the list. So maybe for a guy like um, Thomas Brown, uh, maybe Washington was super interested, but he wasn't interested in them. He was holding out for a better gig, and he got one in Carolina with Frank Reich in a more stable situation. Now, personally, I don't think Pat Shermer's got a lot of options. I don't think Ken Zampezi has a lot of options, but maybe Washington wasn't interested in those people. You know, Charles London joined the Titans staff, Washington um, interviewed him. They interviewed, uh, remember they interviewed Anthony Lynn, um, and Caldwell didn't want an interview and they interviewed Greg Roman. Greg Roman out of all the people that they interviewed was the most interesting to me if they wanted to play football the way they said they wanted to play football. But no, I think it's a really good point, um, in that Washington may have not had many options either other than, Shermer, Zampezi, people who really didn't have any as well. And Eric Bieniemy, with the exception of maybe going back to Kansas City, he didn't have many options either. Again, let me just, you know, net it out. I am definitely excited about Eric Bieniemy being hired because it's better for us that that talk about this football team. This is much more interesting in Andy Reid protege than Ken Zampezi or Pat Shermer. But it doesn't mean that ultimately Thomas Brown or Charles London or even Greg Roman don't go on to much greater success somewhere else. And they looked at Washington when they were here and said, nah, better opportunity somewhere else. Now, Greg Roman does not have a job as of now, as far as I know. Um, But thank you for that tweet, Victor. Um, So I'm going to play something for you. Uh, I'm playing something for you from not one of my favorite people in the national NFL media, and that's Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk. Um, I'm, you know, I understand Pro Football Talk has a lot of influence. They have a lot of connections in the NFL. There's no doubt Florio is a go-to for a lot of NFL teams. Um, so that is something to keep in mind when you listen to this. Florio has a lot of uh, you know, a lot of sources for sure. He's just not my cup of tea. And, you know, the bottom line is he has had a hard on for Washington for a long period of time. Um, and look, you know, it's not that he's been wrong about Dan Snyder, but he was, you know, anti name, anti everything. And by the way, was wrong a lot over the course of time in his reporting about Washington. But I do think that this is worth a listen. It came out. Um, earlier today. It's about three minutes. I didn't cut any of it out because I think you need to listen to the whole thing. Um, I'm just going to play it and then you can listen to it and then I'll react to it. Here was Mike Florio earlier this morning uh, from Pro Football Talk. 
One fascinating little wrinkle about Eric Bieniemy becoming the offensive coordinator of the Commanders. The statement made by Ron Rivera, coach of the Commanders, during Super Bowl week, said it on our show with Chris Sims and me. They're not going to pursue a veteran free agent starter. Sam Howell is QB1 entering the offseason program. At best, they'll sign a veteran backup to support and develop Sam Howell. And as I was writing something up yesterday on what I think will happen between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, it dawned on me that maybe they're waiting to see in Washington whether the nearby Ravens ultimately apply the non-exclusive franchise tag to Lamar Jackson. There have been different thoughts out there on whether or not the Ravens go exclusive at about $45 million, although I think that number is going to go down by the time it locks in. If you go exclusive, you can't talk to any other teams, can't sign an offer sheet, can't do anything other than play for the Ravens or play for no one. If he doesn't sign the tender, doesn't play for anybody, sits out. We saw Le'Veon Bell do that a few years back. I doubt that at $45 million or $40 million or whatever that number is, Lamar Jackson's going to turn up his nose at that. Second, if you go non-exclusive franchise tag, that's when a team like the Commanders could say, hey, you know, we're, we're drafting fairly low this year. We almost made the playoffs. Yeah, we'll give up two first-round picks to get Lamar Jackson. We'll do it. We'll do it. And this would be the setup, throwing everyone off the scent. No, we're not. No, a year after we called every team in the league inquiring as to whether or not their quarterback is available in trade and got ridiculed for it because, yes, we even called the Chiefs. This year, we're just not even in the market. We're not considering it. Nope, 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 nope. We're going with the guy that played one game, and we think he would have been a first or a second round pick if he'd come out in the draft a year earlier. We got him at a lower level. It's a steal. He's our guy. He's our guy. Next question. And look, it wouldn't be the first time that somebody did a 180 for something they told us. I'm not saying Ron Rivera is lying. And, and it's not like I could have asked him this question because it would be tampering for him to comment on it. But what if the truth is they think that the Ravens would be nuts to expose Lamar Jackson to the market via the non-exclusive franchise tag? That, of course, they'd give up two first-round picks to get Lamar Jackson if he's available. Of course, they'd give him the five-year fully guaranteed contract if he's available. And that's the other side of this, too, you know. Some of these teams may not want to get the same blowback that the Browns got last year for the Deshaun Watson deal. Well, you think Daniel Snyder cares right now about blowback from the league? <laughs> do, you, do you think he, he feels like he's got he's to tiptoe around the management council at a time when there's a sense they want to run him off? This would be the ultimate middle finger in the eye of the power structure if he does it. Oh, and he ties the hands of the next owner with a five-year fully guaranteed contract. Doesn't mean anything to him. He's cashing out. So I just got a weird feeling that the commander is taking the position that Howell is their guy and they're not going to pursue a veteran starter could be the first step in what culminates in if the Ravens apply the non-exclusive franchise tag. The commander's making a play for him with Eric Bieniemy as the coordinator and it wouldn't be all that difficult for Ron Rivera to explain himself if that's what they ultimately decide to do. So take Mike Florio and his hunch about Lamar Jackson to Washington for whatever you think it is worth. Uh, I think there are a couple of holes in what he pitched there. I'll get to that in a moment. But two things first before I get to kind of the holes uh, that I think 
Um, I don't even think he was aware uh, that he was creating uh, as he was describing kind of this hunch he has. And and maybe it's a sourced hunch. Um, but look, this is something that's becoming a bit of a story here late morning into early afternoon, which is why I wanted to talk about it here on the podcast. Number one, I just want to say this. Lamar Jackson, two first-rounders, sign me up. I understand availability, injury history, all of those those things would be concerns, but Lamar Jackson would be the best quarterback that's been in this building since Sonny Jurgensen was in it. All right, he's a, he's a recent MVP of the league. Um, so, yeah, I would, be, uh, I would be all for Lamar Jackson coming here. Number two is this. Um, it is interesting, right, that Greg Roman was here a week ago. Imagine they had hired Greg Roman and then this story came out. Well, then we'd all be buying it. Uh, I don't know why Greg Roman resigned in Baltimore. I do know um, after, you know, I said, I think last week on the show, is he leaving because Lamar Jackson wants him gone? Actually, there's been a lot of reporting that suggests that Lamar Jackson had nothing to do with Greg Roman leaving. I don't know why he resigned and moved on, um, but he was in the building a week ago. Is it possible that Ron Rivera and company were on a fact-finding mission as it relates to Lamar Jackson? They didn't hire Greg Roman. They hired Eric Bieniemy, as we know, um, but Greg Roman certainly would have offered and been able to offer up a lot of insight into Lamar Jackson. So here are the holes that I would punch in to um, Florio's spiel there. Number one is this. You know, he he acts as if, you know, Ron Rivera uh, has the potential to play possum on all of this. Well, that's not his history. You know, last year and the year before, Ron Rivera and the organization telegraphed that they were going after big game quarterbacks. You know, they were they were they were they were hunting for, for they were hunting big game. Uh, and they did. You know, so they didn't they weren't faking. They telegraphed that they were going to swing big after 2020 um, and they took a shot at Matt Stafford. They did the same last year talking about calling every team in the league. Florio even mentioned that. It didn't even occur to him occur to him as he mentioned it that they telegraphed it last year and then they backed it up with a massive offer to Seattle for Russell Wilson and then obviously ultimately settling on the trade for Carson Wentz after uh, Wilson, you know, I guess wasn't interested in coming here or perhaps more importantly, Seattle not interested in trading uh, Seattle, uh, trading with an NFC team. And I do remember uh, reading that John Schneider liked uh, Drew Locke as well. But anyway, the point is Rivera playing possum. Well, that's not been the history here. So I, I, th- I think he's wrong about that. Maybe, maybe this is the first off season. He's playing down the fact that they're going to go after somebody big. Number two is I think he's missing the point as to why Rivera told him they're not big game hunting this year as far as quarterbacks. And that is, I think they're on a budget right now with Snyder selling the team. Um, number three is, I I just can't imagine that Baltimore is going to put the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson. Everything you read is that Baltimore wants him back. They don't want to lose Lamar Jackson. The only way to ensure that they don't lose him is to slap the exclusive tag on him. Yeah, it's more expensive at $45 million, but I think I was watching um, early this morning Jeff Darlington on uh, maybe it was Get Up or maybe it was the uh, Stephen A. show. Um, and Darlington's convinced that Baltimore is going to use the exclusive tag, that they want Lamar Jackson back. They're not going to lose him. 
even if they have to pay him $45 million and they can't get a, a deal worked out, they'll pay him $45 million and ride out 23 on the exclusive tag. So I think there may be some dreaming there as far as the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson. I don't know. He could be right, but I think Baltimore wants him back. And then lastly, this whole idea of Snyder middle-fingering the new owner and the league on his way out. Well, why would he want to do that to the new owner? Wouldn't, you know, signing Lamar Jackson to a five-year Deshaun Watson type of deal in terms of guaranteed money, wouldn't that perhaps be, uh, you know, something that lowers the value of the team, which we've already heard is much lower than what was originally thought anyway? Why would you stick – now, Dan – I'm not putting it past him that he would do something stupid and that he would mess up the sale. Remember a few weeks ago I said, you know, I was just thinking about Snyder selling this team. He's messed up every single thing he's ever done. Is it possible he messes up the sale of the team, which ruins it for all of us as well? Of course it is. But I don't know. That's kind of a reach, right? That, first of all, we we kind of understand they don't want to put all that guaranteed money out and into escrow before they sell the team. So they'd have to do that. Well, they wouldn't have to do it right away because technically they he would be on the franchise tag. But, you know, you're not going to give up two first-rounders for one year of $45 million. You're going to try to work out a long-term deal. And this idea that Snyder would just then take the opportunity on the way out to stick uh, the new owner um, and the league with like the biggest deal in NFL history of guaranteed money, that just wouldn't make sense for valuation, I don't think. I don't know. I guess you could make the case that Lamar Jackson being on the team would increase the valuation. But no, a bad contract, a middle-fingered contract doesn't make sense. I don't think it's going to happen, boys and girls. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Lamar Jackson's going to end up playing in Baltimore. Maybe on the exclusive tag, maybe on a long-term deal. That would be my guess. Uh, And I certainly think if he doesn't play in Baltimore, it's not going to be in Washington. All right, up next, Thor Nystrom. We'll talk NFL draft. I know it's early, uh, but really it's never early to talk NFL draft. That's next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. 
We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Jumping on with us right now is Thor Nystrom. Thor, we've had on the show before. Thor covers the draft for Fantasy Pros. Uh, he's a big college football guy. Um, I love his draft analysis. I love the thing that he does every year where he comps basically every player that might be drafted to an NFL player currently. I remember last year he comped Jahan Dotson to Tyler Lockett. Uh, actually, that's a pretty good comp. Um, I know he also loved Malik Willis. I won't let you off the hook for that one. Uh, but it's early on that one. Um, but anyway, Anyway, uh, we've got Thor on because I know it's early and I know your board will change between now and the end of April. But I want to talk quarterbacks, including Thor, the quarterback that Ron Rivera has essentially said is the QB one here in Washington heading into the offseason. You know, it's at least his job to lose. And that is Sam Howell. What did you think of Sam Howell before the draft last year? So I, it's, it's funny I was probably lower on Sam Howell than just about anyone in the industry. You know, I, I think I had him quarterback five, and I but but I rated him as like a mid to late third rounder, I think. And so even by you know me being lower on him than everyone else, objectively Washington got a crazy steal with where he went. And I'm still trying to figure. You brought up Willis, and and with some of these other quarterbacks, the entire quarterback class last year, still trying to figure out what what happened there with a couple of those guys. And Howell's a great example. Of, it, it sort of seemed punitive what the NFL did with him a little bit. I, I just don't know in what scenario that guy gets beyond the third round or, or the early fourth. Like get, getting into the fifth round, I, I just didn't understand that. His last year in college wasn't the best, of course. He had, he had lost all that talent, and he sort of defaulted to running, you know, if his first read wasn't there. But, like, we had seen the year before that, there was a reason that he was being projected by so many people as the number one overall pick in those two early mock drafts. Right. And so I, I, I just thought it went too far. He has the tools. He's an athletic kid. He's super-duper tough. And the thing he was best at in college was throwing the deep ball. You want to talk about, like, stressing the defense both horizontally and vertically. There was, you had seen enough on tape to, you know, to give you the idea or give you confidence that he would be able to do that, at least to some degree of, of, of effectiveness. So, yeah, very surprised. And, and you saw the flashes in the brief amount of time that we saw him, and obviously, obviously the, last, the last game of the season last year. Well, so what bothered you about him? About Howell? Yeah. Like, you know, as far as, far as the eval coming well, you out, had, it you, was the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you had him. You said you didn't have him. You had him probably rated lower than most in your industry had him. Why? Yeah, so like in the, in the long go offense, he cuts the field in half for you. And a lot of times Howell was going to that first read. You didn't see him as natural going to the second, third, you know, fourth, even in the good season that, you know, the, the year before, whatever the year before that. And so then the, the year where all the talent left, 
you bake that context in of your supporting cast is way worse. And and for people out there that don't know what I'm talking about, he had lost Javante Williams, right. he lost Michael Carter, Carter yeah. lost Miami Brown, just a metric ton, ton of guys. But that year, even though you're baking in that context, you're giving them the benefit of the doubt for that stuff. In, instead of sort of working through that stuff or trying to get better with the progressions, it's almost like you sort of quit on it and you just immediately would default, like I said, to just tucking and running. And I didn't think that the mobility aspect of his game that he was able to sort of piece it together with in the ACC last season when UNC did not play a very good schedule of defenses, I didn't think that was going to be able to translate to the NFL. So for me, it was like, I like his deep ball. I like his toughness. And he, he, he is athletic enough. Like, he can be able to steal your side of the pocket. But I don't think it's going to be like a, a fully translatable dual threat um, aspect. You know, like, if, if, if that's something that needs to carry the day for him in, in, in the NFL. So that, that's why I knocked him down a little bit. But he still had the tools to work with, you know, as far as like a day two investment. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the other thing I've said about him at Carolina is not only did they play the bad defenses, they they themselves were a horrific defensive team, which required, mm-hmm. you know, them to, you know, keep up. Uh, and there were, you know, there were a bunch of games that were like 59 to 43 and 58, 55. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of those games that he played in at Carolina. Um I want to look at this draft right now coming up in April. And I want to start at the top of the draft where Chicago has the first pick. If you were Chicago, would you stick with Justin Fields or would you trade Fields and pick Stroud or Young? I would absolutely stick with Fields. And for me right now, I would be gauging that trade market. And with me, it would be with the thing in mind of I'm coming out of this draft with Jalen Carter. For me, like when you're you're thinking about like the non quarterbacks, for me he he's the clear top guy. Like I I have him, you know, objectively like a, a half step above Will Anderson. Okay, yeah. And so that's what you know. So so like for me, like I, you know, can you go to four and still be confident that you would get Jalen Carter, or, or could you only fall to two, or do you you know stay at one and 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 take him? There's this idea that teams aren't as motivated to move up to one as maybe we had thought coming into the process simply because you have those four quarterbacks and maybe on some of these teams is bored. Maybe there's not as big of a differentiation or there's this other idea that of the teams that need the quarterbacks at the top, that, that they're going to have, that those teams are going to have different quarterback ones. You know, we, we've heard some teams like Bryce Young. We've heard other teams like uh, Will Levis. I, I think there's a, a decent shot that Will Levis might be the number one quarterback on uh, Indianapolis's board right now. Really? There, there's other teams that might like, I said, yeah, yeah. I, I think C.J. Stroud might be the top on, on another team's board. And Anthony Richardson now is like the he, – he, Anthony Richardson, he, he's like the horse that was way back when he come into the home stretch, and now he's starting to just, you know, tear it up where he's he's starting to close in on these other guys. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, when, 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 when he started the process, it's like, man, Anthony Richardson in Washington, that doesn't seem like too bad of a fit. But now, like, you, you look at all the mocks, and Anthony Richardson's going in the top ten. It doesn't look like he's going to get down to Washington. So, it's, it, it, you know, that whole thing will dilute the trade market for number one, getting back to the Bears. And so there, there could be a scenario where you're just sitting in, in, in the number one spot to take Jalen Carter if you have the same opinion of Jalen Carter that I do. But in, in, in response to your question, the short version is, I'm definitely keeping Fields, and I'm taking the defender, Jalen Carter. Do you like Fields? I do. Yeah. I'm uh, yeah, definitely a fan. How do you have the quarterbacks ranked? 
So for me, it's Bryce Young with a bullet at the top. I'm I'm not as concerned with the size because I saw him dominate the SEC the last couple of years. And two years ago, it was with the awesome supporting cast. And if he'd added the awesome supporting cast last year again, then you could you know you could be like, well, you know, he had the awesome supporting cast. Maybe they were propping him up, but he, he's got the unprecedented size thing, and there's more questions with that. But what people got to understand is last year, Alabama's offensive supporting cast fell off a shelf. Right. Their offensive line was, was the worst it had been in several years. Their receiving core, I can't even remember a year where it was as bad as last year. People watching his tape that like weren't watching Alabama in the moment are going to be shocked by how mediocre Alabama's receivers were last year. Uh, Nick Saban had tried to go out in the, receipt, uh, the, the transfer portal and sign these guys to replace Jamison Williams, to replace John Mechie. And then, of course, the year before, they, they, they'd lost all the studs, too. Uh, but the guys didn't pan out. Like Jermaine Burton, they got him from Georgia. He didn't really pan out. He played a lot of snaps, but he wasn't good. Uh, Tyler Harrell was the kid they got from Louisville, the, the speed uh, guy. They thought he was going to replace Jamison Williams. He barely played. And then they had these other guys that weren't getting separation or they had a bunch of drops. Bryce Young valiantly stood in there. He was under duress for a lot of the season. He played far better under pressure by both the eye test, by the grades under pressure, in comparison to the rest of the class. Um, some of these guys that play really craters under pressure. Will Levis is a, a great example of that. But Bryce Young, he doesn't. He, he's, he's the best quarterback in this class under pressure. But the other thing, like valiantly battling through the receiver struggles last year, there, there was plays he didn't have a guy open, and he would buy time, he would extend, battle through to the next rep. The ball would clang off a, a receiver's hands. When he, he, Bryce Young made an awesome play. He never got frustrated. He just kept going with it. So he, he's definitely my, my number one. Uh, C.J. Stroud would be in that that number two spot pretty comfortably. Um, he, he just like C.J. Stroud just sort of is what he is for me. Like he he's not a um, he's not a polarizing prospect at all. These other guys that we talk about, they're the polarizing ones. With C.J. Stroud, he's almost boring because he just is what he is. Like he he's your prototypical pocket passer guy. He wants to stay in the pocket so much so that that became a critic uh, criticism of his game. Like before the Georgia game, uh, the the playoff game yeah. in January or uh, the, the the last day of December, we were like, does CJ like is CJ Stroud not athletic? Because we just never see him like. Well, you know, the, the Michigan the, the Michigan game really was an eye opener in watching that, and then he, fortunately he had the bounce back game against Georgia. He he sure did, and and you know in that game you saw him under duress, where then he was he was buying time, he was escaping and making sound decisions. Both he had the athleticism to do it, get outside of, of these monsters who were Ch- Jalen Carter, you know, ch- chasing him, getting outside, but making the correct decisions while he's on the move, very important, number two. And then number three, something that I didn't know, he can throw on the run. Like, because we, we just hadn't seen as much right. of that stuff because generally he wasn't moved off his spot. Because, you know, you know, people talk about Ohio State's receiving core. Ohio State had an awesome oh, wow. offensive yeah. line. Like, yeah, both the tackles might go in the first round uh, in April. The center is going to go pretty high. Like they, they they just had this awesome offensive line. But in that Georgia game, it, it was like the enemy w- was at the gates. You know, they they were they were through the moat. They were across the bridge. They were at the gates like every single snap. And then the ones where they weren't, it, it was like they were dropping the guys back um, in, in into coverage. But Stroud had an answer for that too. It was the best performance we we saw of his career. And so for me, that mitigated the the, the risk. I'm putting them comfortably number two. Number three and number four, that's where it gets closer for me, the debate between Levis and Richardson. I'm going to put Richardson 
a little bit above Levis, but it's like on my, on my overall board, they'll probably be separated by one or two slots. Uh, Cause I, you know, you, you can, you can make the argument, I think one way or the other, but for me, both of them, you have elevated risk profiles on both of them. And the thing that you're hanging your hat on with both of them, it's the really, really high ceiling because when, when you're sort of looking into the distance and then you're sort of like, if everything breaks right for both these guys, what do they look like? Well, both of them are going to go to a bunch of uh, pro bowls or be on, you know, uh, all pro teams. If they hit, they're both going to be just monsters. If they hit Richardson has the higher ceiling though. Richardson's the guy where when you're watching him play on, on the, the reps where it, it like it, it all comes to get the flash reps or whatever. He cannot be defensed. The defense is literally helpless against him. And a great example of this is the Utah game yeah. in the opener this right. past season. Yeah. Where at the end of that game, he just puts on the Superman cape and he's like, "Yeah, we're not losing this." And and you know there was there would be the, there's this one specific play at the end of the game. I think it was a two point conversion. Utah had two free rushers on him, and and I mean, Richardson was dead to rights. I'm talking but free rushers right off off the snap to the right. And Richardson's able to yep. evade one of the guys. It, it, you know, the athleticism that you just don't see spins or breaks the tackle, spins away from, then is able to outrun the other guy to the boundary. And and the the defensive backs on Utah, I think they just all assumed that, that the play was over, that he was going to get sacked. And so Richardson, he throws his dart to a receiver who's wide open in the, the back of the end zone. But you see plays like that where it's like, oh my gosh, there are so few human beings alive. Um, NFL included, of course, that are physically capable of doing what I just saw. So I'm I'm going to put him just a little bit higher than Levis. My my concerns with with Levis, it goes back to that pressure thing. I, I I've not been impressed with Levis's work under pressure. Um, he, even the year he was good uh, before this past season, uh, this past season he had the, you know sort of like we we're talking about with Howell, but with with Levis it was way worse. Like at least with Howell. He figured, like, Howell wasn't bad his last season. It's just Howell was running way more because that's how he could move the offense. Levis, he lost all of his talent, uh, you know, before last season. And then this past season, he just wasn't good, right? Like, he just didn't have the answers. And the thing that you saw, like, for instance, under pressure, going back to that, um, he had this ridiculously high percentage of pressures were being converted into sacks. Uh, there was an elevated uh, turnover-worthy uh, uh, play rate, yeah. just different stuff like that. You saw the bad decisions consistently and, and different stuff like that. I can see that he has the, the really good uh, physical skills, but when you saw the circumstances change, his, his play tended to crater a little bit and the struggles under pressure, so those are my concerns with him. Uh, man, you've said so much about the, the quarterbacks, and I'm so glad I had uh, ha- have you on here today because this is good stuff and we're still a couple of months out, but um, – First of all, I, I think I want to emphasize the point you made about Bryce Young because I think a lot of of, of the listeners that they don't wa- they they watch a lot of NFL they don't watch as much college. Um, that, that's what you do. I love college football as well. Alabama just did not have the supporting cast that they typically have, and Bryce Young w- took a pounding. He missed he missed some time this year. Um, he took an absolute pounding and kept making play after play and with a one of the Weakest offensive supporting casts Bama's had in years. They lost two games by, I think, a total of, well, they lost by a field goal to Tennessee and they lost in overtime in the two-point conversion to LSU, so by four points. Lost two games by four points. Um, uh, So that was really interesting. The C.J. Stroud thing, I was totally off Stroud until 
until the Georgia game. Um, and I and, and and look, if the kicker makes a kick, he probably then goes on to destroy TCU in the same way that Georgia did because yeah. uh, Georgia and, and Ohio State were bad matchups for TCU. Michigan was just different in the way they played, the style of play. And by the way, they got a lot of help in that game too. TCU did to get to the final. Um, but um, I, I, Stroud impressed me on that final drive in particular when he drove him down the field and had that, I don't know, 35-yard run that got him into field goal range. Um, incredible. Now, the Richardson thing for me, Thor, so I agree with you. Like, I have been talking about Anthony Richardson on and off all season long. But I keep coming back to this. The Utah game was the game. You know, Labor Day weekend, that Saturday night game on Labor Day weekend, everybody's watching it. And I remember just saying, oh my God, this guy is easily going to be a top half of the first round pick. Like there is no doubt. He's big. He's strong. He, he, he has to run. Now I've, I've found this out afterwards that he runs like four five, four six. To me, it looks like he glides a little bit, but that he's still running four four. And I, and, and by the way, strong arm, the whole thing, but you know, Florida was not a great team this year. I understand that. But to me, he really, as I watched more and more, looked like a total project as an in-the-pocket passer. His mechanics are off, which leads to bad accuracy. But then again, like if you put him in an offense where it's dual threat and you're going to play him in the same way that maybe Jalen Hurts played early on, that Lamar Jackson plays, you're going to have some success with him as a runner. But I mean, you've got Richardson ahead of Levis. By the way, I agree. Levis, every time he was pressured to me, he either took bad sacks or put the ball up for grabs. Um, against yep. good, really good competition, too. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, on a team that was more defensive in nature. You know, Stoops' teams are always more defensive in nature anyway. But uh, do you agree with me on Richardson that there's a bit of a project um, thing here with him as a passer versus the other three? One thousand percent, and 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 you hit it with with what you need to work on. It's it's the mechanics, and and you see when they get wonky, that's when the sidearm uh, starts to get errant, and and you you start to see that the accuracy just just go when when the mechanics are right. When he has that base under him, you know, and and when he has the, the upper half married to the lower half on his throws, that's when you that accuracy is solid. Um, but like that's the stuff that you have to work with him on. The the reason that I'm like maybe not I shouldn't say not concerned, but the, the reason that I'm a little bit more bullish with the the pocket game or the idea that that he could have a breakthrough that that, that the like could go on. I like his decision making. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't make those mis- he doesn't make those mistakes that that Levis does. And and for people out there too, Richardson actually goes through his progressions. Like he, he's not one of these like like sort of one trick pony guys like back in the pocket where it's like it's just the one read and when it the one read's not there he panics. In fact, he doesn't really panic at all because he's the most physically gifted guy of the field at all times. Like because because he knows there's not one singular guy where it's like I'm going to be dead to rights if this guy gets a free run at me. He, he always he always has the trump card, so he's fairly comfortable back there. He'll go through through the progression. And he tends to make the right uh, decision with with the ball, but you're you're a thousand percent right. The accuracy is is where you have the the problems after that. But we we've isolated the problem. It's the mechanics. He's now moving to the NFL. Like as as you know, he his coaches in college. It was Dan Mullen, 
who yeah. got fired. They, right. they, they, you know, his last year, Dan Mullen gives a hundred touches to Damian Pierce, and then he was platooning Anthony Richardson with uh, uh, Emory Jones. Yeah, Emory like Jones. he was doing. Yeah. yeah, Dan Mullen was doing all sorts of wonky stuff. Absolutely deserved to get fired. And then they they changed the offensive scheme to to Billy Napier. He already had this this ball of clay in in Richardson. He he didn't have the best circumstances to like develop as quickly. Of course, I would have loved for him to go back to college for another year because then the you know it it's going to be less risky when he comes out. It's going to be a little bit more polished. But you, you do have to give him the benefit of the doubt with with those kinds of things. And then one other thing is, as far as the pocket game goes, I mentioned how Levis had that extremely elevated rate of when the pressure comes. It, it gets converted into the sacks. I believe the percentage for Levis, it was over 25%, which is one of the highest in this class. Richardson, I believe, had the lowest percentage in this class. It's under 10%, might be 8%. So when, when, when the enemy's at the gate for Richardson, he's able to avoid sacks with literally the best of them, the best of them in this class, and again, makes the right decisions, and all options are on the table at all times. Until that ref blows his whistle, Anthony Richardson could do anything. He might throw that ball 70 yards, you know, 65 yards down the field, hit somebody on the hand. He might take off and run and run 50 yards for a touchdown. Um, but it, but you, you're fairly confident he's not going to make the wrong decision. But the, the accuracy, yes, you need to do a ton of work with that. We're talking to Thor Nystrom. Uh, Thor's with Fantasy Pros. Uh, you can follow Thor on Twitter at Thor Koo, That's T H O R K U, uh, and get the link to Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros and all the things that he is uh, associated with. By the way, Nick Ackerich from Pro Football Focus, who I have on the show all the time, he's a huge Washington uh, sports fan um, and and Skins fan. He said the same thing about Richardson that you said. He said, "Okay, of course the mechanics are bad, and yes, the accuracy." Than is bad, but if you watch him, he goes through he goes through his progressions at like an advanced level for for the number of games that he has started. I think that's an interesting point. Let me ask you uh, yep. one last question on on Richardson. Um, if Washington at sixteen, if he were there, and I'll ask you where you think he's going to go in a moment, but if he were available at sixteen, would you take him? For me, it's a yes. And, and and it's a yes because I'm you know I'm not going to say that I'm I'm bullish on Howell, but I do think Howell has a shot. So this, this isn't throwing dirt on on Howell, but it's not a hundred percent shot, right? And and we've already said that Richardson's not a hundred percent shot, but of course Richardson, you have that that bonanza of a ceiling if he hits it. If 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 Richardson fell down there, uh, by by the import of it, uh, the the upside of it, it it's, it's juice worth the squeeze in terms of the slot. Now you got two bites of that apple. Yeah. If both the guys hit, great. Now you have a trade asset. You know, you, you could trade Howell next offseason. Certainly a team's going to want a, a, a young starting quarterback on the rookie scale deal. If only one of the guys hits, well, great. You have your starting quarterback going forward. It, and it didn't cost you a lot, by the way. It cost you a fifth-round pick and it cost you a mid-first-round pick. Any team in the league is going to give that up to get a, a, a solid starting quarterback on a rookie deal. Um and, and 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 the odds that neither of them hit, you know, that, that that you don't have anything there, it goes way down. Of course, you know, if, if you have the second guy. So for me, there, yes, I'm taking him if he falls down there. If I'm Washington, though, having Howell, I'm not going to give up assets probably to move up. So it would have to be the scenario where he falls down into my lap. 
But if that happens, yeah, I'm probably going to take him. Um, you do this thing um, before the draft every year, year where you comp all the players in the draft to NFL players. Who will you comp Anthony Richardson to? Cam Newton. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you think about it, Cam Newton was not a great mechanic, a great uh, accuracy guy when he was forced to throw it on third down. But he had a lot of other, he had a lot of other answers uh, there for a few years. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that based on the way you're talking about him, you don't think he gets by Carolina at nine, right? Yeah, you, you got it, and uh, and the Cam Newton evocation and 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 everything like that. That that's where I would bank right now I, I think that would be a slot but if he gets by there that that's where it, it's really in play that he could fall down to Washington so Carolina would, would, would be the one to watch for sure at number nine uh so all four quarterbacks you've got going in the top 10 I do yep by the way after those four is anybody gonna make a run at you know a discussion we know how things dramatically change after indian pro days etc is there anybody out there at that position that you could see surprising people over the next 2 months um in in terms of surprising like getting into the back half of the first yes. round i say no but but in terms of like i i do think we could get a guy like into the maybe top half of the second uh, certainly in, into the the middle of the second I think Tanner McKee is the guy that that could be the, the sort of the darling of the moment. Yeah, the the, the Stanford kid. Once he goes out and starts throwing, because he's got a pretty good arm, um, and and his circum, you know, as you know, as a college football guy, his his circumstances in college were not very good. I'm not exactly sure what happened to David Shaw over the last three or four years, but yeah. everything went awry for him. Yeah. But but Tanner McKee, he, he's your prototypical. A pocket passer, and he's like your your throwback guy. Where some of these these the guys that we were just talking about, it, it's either unprecedented profiles, i.e., Bryce Young, or you have like the wonky profiles with the extremely elevated uh, uh, wrist pro, uh, profiles in Richardson and, and Levis. Uh, McKee is like you know if if you just want to like you know he, he's more like the the twenty five years ago kind of guy where it's like the six five or six six prototypical pocket passer, makes quick decisions, very accurate, throws to all levels of the field. But he's not very athletic. Obviously, he ain't going to steal any, any yards out of the pocket or nothing like that. But I, I could definitely see him being uh, sort of the darling of a, the pre-draft process once he goes out and starts talking with teams, starts throwing and moving up into, you know, like I said, could be top half of the second round. What do you think Washington will have at their disposal knowing that O-line, secondary to a certain degree, I think tight end is a major need for them. Um, you know, at 16, what do you see being there at 16 for them to choose from? Yeah, if it's not Richardson, cornerback, uh, I, 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 I forgot if you mentioned cornerback, yep. I would be another one I'd probably toss out. Offensive line, um, and and those are positions where there there are going to be guys, especially cornerback. You know, like I, I haven't looked around as much with the mocks. Um, I probably shouldn't say this because it's my industry. Sometimes <laughs> it's all right. My, they change my, so know, much my, anyway. Yeah, because you know, b- before free agency starts, I don't care about the mocks. And, and there's been years where my work has made me do a mock before free agency, but I just I just don't care about them before then. So so I don't like I, you know I, I whole point is I haven't looked at them, but like I, I would have to assume that Washington's getting mocked some of those cornerbacks because. At their, you know, if, if 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 the mock doesn't have them getting like a guy like Richardson, because at their slot, it, it's a good slot for some of these uh, cornerbacks. Like in in that first round, it, it's sort of the sweet spot for that. 
You have like uh, you know Joey Porter uh, Jr. Yeah. from from Penn State. You have Cam Smith uh, from from South Carolina. Um, I don't think Devin Witherspoon will get there, but this is all dependent on his combine because he he's you know as as far as like weighing in, he he's going to weigh in a, a little bit lighter. Um, like he's going to weigh in like you know twelve thirteen pounds lighter than Jair Alexander, for instance. Maybe even up to fifteen pounds lighter than Jair Alexander. He he's on the smaller side and. The athletic testing, we'll have to see like how he tests. But no, nobody thinks he's like a world-class athlete. It's just on film, he's the best corner in the class. And so if, if some of the measurable stuff, if, if it introduces just a little bit of doubt, I, I do think there's a shot that he could fall to, to 60, and then you get the best corner in the class, um, you know, just on, on film, like I said. Uh, I don't Christian Gonzalez is the guy I don't think will get there because I, I think the measurables would, would, would take him out of there. But I, I do think corner for Washington at, at that slot definitely in play, and then the the um, the trench play, you know, with, with the offensive line would, would probably be the other one right. that that I would be looking at. Yeah. Um, what about tight ends? Is there a tight end? Is the kid from Notre Dame worth taking in the top half of the first round this year or not? Yes, Michael Mayer. Yeah, I I love Michael Mayer, um, and and with him, you know, some people are like, you know, like, oh, let, let's see how he tests because. The the one thing you can nitpick about his eval is he's not like the the he's not Kyle Pitts right like he's he not going to get on not the track he's going to run right. whatever yeah, yeah he's not like, going he's not going to run four high, four he's he's going to run what's what's he going to run do you think probably four six like four you know mid four sixes maybe yeah. like something like that like yeah um, but like everything else about his profile that you literally can't question it he he's his his routes are awesome. His hands are awesome. He's very, very fluid. He uses his body like ideally. He uses his body like, like, like you would use it, like if you were playing like with, with uh, on PlayStation, like it, like exactly how you would want him to. It, he, he he pins the the defenders to his back, and then the moment he gets the ball, he's he's this colossus moving downfield. Like you need a couple guys to get that guy down. And then you start seeing people do the, the diving at his knees like they used to do with Gronk and stuff. And then, you know, he, he can do the thing like, you, you know, he'll, he'll do the low stiff arm or, or sometimes he'll do the little short hop hurdle of him and stuff like that. He, he's very dangerous with that ball in his hand. And then this is the other very important point about Michael Mayer, I think. There's been so many of these tight ends who've come into the league in, in recent years and, and not a ton of them have gone in, in the first round. But a lot of times because they're the one-trick utility guy. They, they don't block. They, you know, a lot of these guys yeah. guys are just big slots, or they're age backs, or if they are a guy that played in line in college, it's like a guy that didn't block well. Like, um, uh, uh, same college, Cole Komet. He, he, you know, he, he played in line there, but he didn't block good. Like, yeah. you know, he, you know, we, we, you know, he, when he got hit off the line, it, it would like shock him back before he could like go into his route. Uh, Michael Mayer, not only did he play in line, he's a devastating blocker. Like he's one of the better inline blockers that we've seen come into the league from that position in the last decade. So certainly, while I've been doing this, he—it's not just that he gets after it every play because there's been other processes come in that like they give you the effort every play, which that in and of itself is notable because, like I said, a lot of these guys they don't care about the blocking aspect of it. Mayor gets after it, but he also has the play strength and the technique. He very clearly cares about it, not only in the moment. But he did in advance of it, right? Getting his body ready for it, getting the technique down, everything like that. If you watch his his film, every single play where he is a blocker, 
he is getting after it, and he's moving somebody backwards. It just is what it is. And it's not just on the inline thing. You can move him into the backfield, and, and he can be a lead blocker in, in the short area stuff, uh, and do, doing the different motion stuff, different stuff like that. So true dual threat tight end. And at 16, absolutely juice would be worth the squeeze there. I would absolutely take Mike Amara at 16. All right, last one. Um, where's this draft strong? Where is it weak? The strongest positions for me are it's the trenches and it's the cornerbacks. Um, specifically, the like wh- where it's really unique, it's the outside boundary uh, press man guys who are have like the pterodactyl reaches. You have this abnormal amount of cornerbacks in this class that, that fit that profile where like I, I, in the past five classes, we'll have to see when the measurements come out, but, but I would, I would bet that, that this, this class just by the size is larger than any, any of those. And you have the athletic profile that, to, to back it up. So for me, it would be, it would be secondary. And then on both sides of the, the trenches, I, I think the, the defensive line class is good. The edge rushers are good. And then the offensive line class, I think too, is solid. And you think Jalen Carter is the best player in the draft, don't you? I do. Him and Bryce Young, like if, if you brought the, the quarterback value into it, I, I put Bryce Young in there. But if you, if it's not the quarterback value, yeah, Jalen Carter for sure. Thor, awesome job. Really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we can talk again before the draft. I'd love to. Yeah, anytime. All right, Jimmy Patsos next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jumping on with us right now is my good friend Jimmy Patsos. Of course, the longtime assistant with Gary Williams at Maryland, then coached up at Loyola in Baltimore at Siena. He's been doing a lot of work with Under Armour, a lot of work with NBC Sports Washington, especially on the Wizards uh, broadcasts, and he jumps on with us right now. I want to start with um, Thursday night, last Thursday night, where you were and where I was, and that was at the Xfinity Center for Maryland against Purdue. You get around. You get to a lot of venues, you know, some of the best venues in the country. And I'm asked uh, occasionally by people who hear me talk about what uh, a great home court advantage Maryland has uh, to compare it to other places. And I've said, you know, on its best nights, and last Thursday was one of the best nights we've seen in a while, um, it's as good as any place out there. You've been out there. Do you agree with that? Look, full disclosure, I work for Under Armour, as you know, Kevin. So we have a vested interest in Maryland being one of our flagships, just like Auburn, just like Utah, Northwestern, who's having a great year, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Texas Tech. Then we have the Cincinnati's, the Wichita State's, Davidson's, 
And then we have local schools like Towson, who could make a run in American U, and Navy, who's playing well. All these schools matter to us. But let's face it, Maryland matters a little extra. You know, Kevin Plank went there. I coached there. I was with Gary Williams. And, and we were, look, I hope Turge is doing well. I miss Turge. You know, Mark, the last time I went to an NCAA game, Mark Turge and, and the Terps beat Buck Knight and Danny Hurley in Connecticut handily in Indiana. Yeah. So, like, there's been some really good moments recently. I remember when Turge beat uh, Michigan. They, they won the regular season. They tied for the regular season. And it was really good energy in there. And everybody was like, well, we were all moving. That, that, that COVID year hurt a lot of programs like Dayton, et cetera. That hurt Maryland a lot. You know, that was really a, we were really poised because we had the two bigs and Jalen Smith was playing so well. That being said, that dissertation to open, and I apologize, but I want to let everyone know, there's been a lot of good times. Yeah. We all have a lot of interest. Yeah. But Purdue the other night was phenomenal. I mean, and I, 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 I and the rushing the court, I like it. I don't want anybody to get hurt. Uh, I was there for the Penn State Saturday noon game, which Kevin Willard's been very vocal about. We need more Saturday and Sunday afternoon games, especially here when a major city, yep. uh, there's traffic issues. We like those. Well, Purdue took the thing to another level. That was back to the game. That's why I wanted to say, I like Turns did a lot of good things, a lot of good players, no hard feelings. But that felt to me, Kevin, like the old, that felt like Carolina and Coldfield House with Johnny Rhodes and Joe Smith. That felt like Duke. That felt like beating Bill Self in Illinois or Kelvin Sampson in Oklahoma back in Cole. Beating Wisconsin with Nick Kane and Medley hitting a shot against Wisconsin. You know, I left in 2004. Like, that was that magnitude of a win. The energy, you couldn't hear yourself think. There was chaos. The fans were great. The popcorn was popping. Everybody was excited. You could feel the energy. And then they won. You know, you know how that is, Kevin. We had that against UCLA. Not such a good outcome. These things happen. Right. Well, there's UCLA for the, the third in the country. But I just wanted to let everybody know it's kind of my opening statement. The past is the past and the future is the future. And we all remember a lot of good things, but that was as good as it gets, in my opinion. And if it can, if it can remotely stay at that level, Willard's done a magnificent job. Look, we're probably going to the NCAA tournament. And if you and I talked last August, let's not BS each other. There's no way we thought we were really deep down going to be going to the tournament let alone having a 7-8-9 seed, right? So it's been a joyous year, but that Purdue thing was like a hope in the unseen. That was like getting the Willie Walker golden ticket and then Gene Wilder <laughs> flip it over, and now we're going in and watching Violet Beauregard, Baruch Assault, and, and Augustus Gloop. The Oompa Lumpus, that was just like, it all came together against Purdue, and it was so exciting, and it was so good, and it was a win. And how was you like? How did you feel walking out of there that night? Well, first of all, I'm glad you said what you said at the beginning because I, I know we talk every once in a while, not always on the air, but everybody that's listening to this knows that I've gone and bent over backwards trying to tell everybody, look, don't make this about you know what Turgeon wasn't because you're you're fooling yourselves and and many of of our fans just flat out lie and make things up. I mean, Turge was the third winningest coach in the Big Ten when he was there. 
behind Izzo and Painter. He went to more NCAA tournaments at Maryland in the Big Ten than anybody but Izzo. Um, we were ranked, you know, uh, earlier in the year when people were saying, oh, she, uh, the, uh, when's the last time they were ranked 13th? Well, they were ranked number two in 2020. They were ranked in the top 10 pretty much the entire season that year. When's the last time they sold out a game? I don't know, five games in 2020. Like, people just make stuff up. Turge and, and the program was good. The problem is, and I understand this, and I've said the same thing, is we didn't win enough in March. That's that's the mic drop moment for those that wanted to move on. But people need to stop making shit up about him because the bottom line is, is he won a hell of a lot. We were going to the tournament every year. Just didn't win enough in March like you did with Gary. And people are always going to compare March results to what happened here where, you know, by the way, you went through it where we were only making sweet 16s. I mean, you were there the night against Florida State when this fan base, well, you know, what booed you guys off the floor, you know, and you went to the Final Four. But I'm glad you said that. But with respect to the other night, I just, what I wanted to really ask you was, you've been in a lot of these venues. I've gone to, to a lot of road venues before. I think Maryland on its best nights, which we all, you know, we all believe were the Duke and Carolina nights. You you referenced the Johnny Rhodes, Joe Smith, Keith Booth, Dwayne Simpkins, you know, the, the 95 season when Carolina came in here, came to cold number one. That that may be the number one during your era um, in terms of crowds that night. Everybody had red pom-poms. The place was insane. Insane. But I want you to tell everybody what, what Xfinity Center is like on a really good night compared to the best places, compared to Cameron, compared to Fog Allen, compared to Mackey. You know, it, it, I, I, I've been asked, you know, by people, where does it rank? And I'm like, on its best night, it's up there with any of them. I would agree. I would say that's a, that's a very fair statement. Look, Fog Allen, the one thing Duke did, you know, and as much as we hate to admit they beat us on this, but I'm only kidding. Duke, look, Duke drove the bus and made us get better. I wish we had built a practice and a facility next to Cole. Like where the tennis courts were, we should have built a building like Duke did that had all the bells and whistles and then renovate Cole to the degree of, you know, better seats. And the floor wasn't going to work with those, you know, double aisle wooden chairs. Right. And things. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. But, and the bathrooms need to be added. And, then he, and then, so all of a sudden, I'm talking about a lot of amenities. But yet, Fog Allen has done it. And so has Cameron. But you need the next door thing. The practice gym, the locker room, the hot tubs, the offices, the video rooms. You couldn't survive in cold the way it was. And it really would have hurt all the other sports. So Gary Williams was the one that said, like, as usual with Gary, if this helps everyone, we'll move. Of course it's too big. I wish it was 15,000, 14,000. I want the end zone open as a restaurant, you know, where you can go the whole game. It should probably have like a deck off of it. Look, when you're playing bad teams, you got to entertain business people. But it's up there. It ranks up. Now, Mackey, 12,123, baby. I saw Gene Cady down at Coastal Carolina with Cliff Ellis. First thing he says, Jimmy, 12,123. We had the second most sellouts in a row behind Jordan and the Bulls in the whole world. And Mackey, I was there when um, I was there for Mackey, and that's where actually where we beat. Nah, that's where we beat Connecticut. I was there when when I was out there. See, being at the COVID year, and I want to jump back into that real quick. In defensive tours, in defensive VCU and Dayton, the A10 right now is struggling. Well, they had a window, and you know how this is, Kevin. Yeah, Gonzaga's the superpower. Gonzaga carries their league. 
Houston carries the American League, right? Well, you have to have those teams be superpowers and go to the top four when they can. Maryland, the league didn't get hurt by COVID, but Maryland did because that was their year to really make a big jump and march under turf. But VCU and Dayton, VCU had a game canceled against Oregon, didn't get to play. The year before, Dayton's the number one and two seed with Obi Toppin, and they don't get to play, and all of a sudden, they take a step back. You have to capitalize, whether it's Turge or someone else. And the COVID year hurt some teams that just, you know, that was this cycle to really cycle up. But in Mackey Arena, that's where Eric and Eric Ayala firmly outplayed James Booknight. I tried to look at all the NBA scouts. They're like, how about Booknight? I'm like, how about Booknight? How about Ayala? Right. He just kicked his butt. And those are moments you remember. But the Mackey Arena, I think Bloomington's a really interesting place. And I want to jump into the Big Ten. Everyone misses Carolina Duke. Everyone. It was phenomenal. It's not coming back. It's the way it was. But the Big Ten is better than the ACC. It now. is. What it a is. move by. I've what finally a, come what around. A move. Well, well, other than those two. Okay, those are two iconic programs. They both went to the Final Four last year. People forget, oh, the ACC's down. Yeah, the bottom of the ACC is not very good. You're right. There's places where there's two and 3,000 people. I won't cast dispersions. I might be generous with that. There's never a night in the Big Ten where there's 3,000 people in an arena. Never. Never. Ever. Ever. Never. Ever. 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 It's it's Exhibition game. Worst game of the year. Doesn't matter. There are nights in the ACC where there's a big-time game on a Tuesday where there's two and 3,000 people in those arenas in February, and nobody wants to talk about that. Well, I will because the Big Ten's way better than that. Okay, but Carolina Duke has the mystique, and mystiques carry, and they still win. I don't know if they're going to win this year. We didn't have a team go to the final four last couple of years. So the oh the ACC, no, the, the Big Ten, <laughs> it's not even close. It's the best league, night in and night out, for crowds. You saw the Nebraska crowd, tough loss in overtime. They got some players that won four out of five. The young Japanese kid's very good. Hoiberg's son, Walker's good at the big. They had 14,000 people in there packed. You know, and I was going to say Bloomington's tough place to play. I've never been to Michigan. Michigan State played Izzo. Northwestern's packing it now. We know the Buckeyes are crowded. Penn State has their flaws. Minnesota, there. when they're good, it's weekend. great. Minnesota's fine. The old, you know, funny little stadium they yeah. have, the barn. Like, this is a great league, and they are pulling in. The SEC's close. Now, when Texas and Oklahoma comes up, that's driven by Kentucky and Mandy. You can walk up to most SEC places and get a ticket on a Tuesday night, even in February. So, like, that, when that's where it's at now, and it's turned out to be a great move. Forget about the $30 million extra we get every year, which obviously helps all sports included. But it's going to be interesting because everyone loves a winner. And the, and the Big Ten has to prove it can have a Final Four team. And I don't know if Purdue's it, because other than Zach Eady, they're a little young. They got some good guys in the backcourt, Lawyer and Smith and those guys, but they're a little young. But if you don't have a Final Four team, then people go, where's your Final Four team? And like I said, Gonzaga's done a great job. Houston went there and could go again this year. You know, like the Memphis and Penny do a great job carrying the Americans. And that's the, the, the Mountain West. They've been great, you know, kudos to Coach Naki. Kelsey's out there at Utah State. Nevada's good. New Mexico's falling a little. San Diego State's really good. But if you don't make that second weekend, Sweet 16 on, your league doesn't get the recognition. But yet, when you make the Final Four, you get a big boost, and that's fair. And the ACC is really good at that. And they've always been top-heavy. And I miss those two teams. But after those two teams, I think the Big Ten's been a much better basketball conference. 
I was watching Jeopardy the other night, and there was a category called ACC School something, right? So of the six answers, five of them were Pitt, Syracuse, Boston College, Miami, and Louisville, I think. And I'm like, well, they are. They are, they are trying to. Stop I'm like, you. Dude, way, that's, that's, not, that's <laughs> not the ACC. Um, Clemson. No, they're trying to stump you. That's why they're trying to stump you. But trying I, to get you well, they didn't. You. They didn't stump me. Actually, I, I think I ran that category. My wife was like, Jesus, and I'm like, yeah. But the, the the sad part is, none of those schools, except for Clemson, was an answer. None of them were like real ACC schools. But I have to tell you because I told Tommy this, and I may have told Naki this as well um, recently. I am I'm a Big Ten guy now I mean I didn't think it would ever happen I for the first four five six years uh, by the way I think Maryland suffered a lot from going to the Big Ten in basketball through a lot of those years um, because I think people were not excited about Minnesota on a Thursday night coming to Xfinity Center whereas if it had been NC State or Virginia it probably would have been different but beyond that what has been just I, I, I mean I, I, I used to I used to watch more ACC games with Maryland in the Big Ten than I would Big Ten games. That is not the case anymore. I'm a Big Ten network guy. I watch all the games and you you nailed it like the venues, um, what's the, in- oh, God damn, I'm blanking on his name. What's the Indiana player who played for night that was on ESPN? Uh, Dockage. Uh, one of the, those first years I had Dockage on the show, Jimmy. And he's like, Hey, you know, I, I did the Maryland game. That is quite an impressive home court, uh, you know, place. I mean, but you're going to be going to a lot of great places, but my God, I was impressed with Maryland. And I said to him on the show live, I said, Dan, we went to Cameron Indoor every year. You ever heard of it? I mean, Little John on a really good night. You haul uh, the Dean Dome. I said we were in we were in a little conference. You may have heard of it, the ACC for the last forty five years, fifty years, whatever it was. He goes, no, I know, but man, the Big Ten's got some venues. Well, you know what? He was right. I mean, even Rutgers well, going they do, there. They go well, Rutgers. Yes, Michael's done a good job. Don't. He, you could have gone there four years ago and walked in there. And okay, they would have given. They would have begged you to go. I'm just saying this: when Gary Williams was there, remember we grew up in Big Ten, Michigan and Indiana in '76. I know with two undefeated teams going to the final, final four. Mm-hmm. Bobby Knight's first win in, in Philly, and that's you know I'm 10 years old. You're starting to watch a little basketball, but you had night. But Gary was there three years, and two teams won it. Ramil Robinson won it, and Bobby Knight won it, and they weren't the best team in the league. Purdue was. But the venue with, with Big Dog, were yeah. But no, that was before Big Dog. They had the three guys there. Then they had the, they had the big three. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Big Dog. But anyways, anyways, those those places just because football got so much, you know, you know, you're watching Ohio State, you're watching Nebraska. Now Nebraska back there was in the Big Twelve, but those type of schools growing up, the football venues were packed. Keith Jackson's talking about a sophomore and all this stuff, and you know, like it's it's just. Yeah, it's a great league. It took away a little. But they had Knight, and they had Michigan winning it. Yeah. And they had other teams. Then Izzo picks up the slack for those guys. For Heathcote, Illinois yeah. Illinois and Olsen. Then Wisconsin makes their run with, with, with you know, they, they almost win two titles. They, they just couldn't quite get it done in 15 and 16. But their venues are really, really crowded, and they have a really good fan base. But I thought Bloomington actually won there as a coach in the Loyola. Tom I remember. There and yeah. They had, 
They they made the mistake of giving us the check before the game. You were down a bu- you were down a bunch in that game. I remember that game very well. You were down a boatload we and came up. back. We were we were up, then we were down. But that was one of those games I showed the players the seventy five thousand dollar check they gave us. They said they just gave us this check, and they think we're going to roll over. This is this is a teaching moment. This is called house money. Okay, <laughs> we got nothing to lose. You never give us the check before. And I'm firing away at halftime. I show them the check, and I'm like, oh, I should have ripped it up because you guys don't want to play hard for 75 grand. And they're like, don't rip it up. I'm like, don't worry, I'm not ripping it up. But we're, we, we had a moment. But Bloomington, it's as great. I went there for COVID, what a great town. It's like, I'm, like Purdue is a little quiet, no offense. Yeah. But Blooming, Bloomington, yeah. top to bottom, it's like a really, really good town. Great cool town. School, John Cougar stuff. Yep. But that venue is steep. And they go to it. God, so, so I'm glad. I'm sorry we got off on a tangent, but this is this has turned into a much better match. And Rutgers, I want to give all the credit in the world to what you said. Rutgers and Maryland. Maryland had a tough transition because we had such tradition. Right. Rutgers was just, you know, little orphan Annie over there. No one ever heard of. Right. And he he's really picked it up. And now, what is your thoughts, Kevin? On left. By the way, we're going next year, December twentieth. I believe that's the release date for. Basically, it's the end of December is when Maryland's going to return the game at UCLA. And if anybody wants to have lunch at Craig's in West Hollywood, I'm buying because I will be there. What do you, What about when we had those two venues? Now, USC, they don't quite draw like no, the other ones do. No. It's but amazing. UCLA does what do you think about those two coming well uh, you're you got per usual as you begin to talk and this wasn't the plan we get into all these other things let me just mention one thing before i get to usc and ucla the one thing that i do miss and i don't know when this will happen you know but it will eventually as as maryland's in this league longer is we just don't have a rival you know, there isn't a rivalry like the I don't know if you see, you know, the Big Ten's going to go to, you know, they're going to get away from these divisions in football and you're going to get three guaranteed rivalry games every year. And for Maryland, um, Rutgers and Penn State are going to more likely than not be two out of the three. But it's like, and you know what, I got to give you this. Hold on, Kevin. The Rutgers thing is different. Penn State has some of that Penn State game mm-hmm. was really good. And, you know, with Loxley and James going at it, Franklin of football and all that, that creates drama. They're, not, they're like. not a rival in basketball. No, but they're right next door, and they did bring people, though. I, no, 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 look. Yeah. But I, look, Carolina and Duke aren't walking in the door anymore. I, okay, I, I'm, just, I'm just I'm stop. not saying. Stop. I'm not they're saying. They're not coming back. <laughs> I'm not it's s- over. I'm not it's saying. It's over. I'm not saying that I that I've I've already told you I am now a, a total convert. I'm just telling you the one thing right, but it's that about we fans interest. But it's and what constitutes a rivalry is other people coming into the building. And I'm telling you that Saturday there were a couple thousand. Yeah, uh, I know. Penn State fans. I, I understand there. that, but I, that, they just, they deserve credit for that. Okay, but and I would. Guys but you wouldn't, and I wouldn't say at any point, probably for the rest of our lives, that Penn State is a rival <laughs> of ours in basketball. All I'm, uh, so b- b- to, to your no, but you have to build somewhere. Uh, yeah, but I uh, yeah. Well, I I ho- what I hoped when we got in the league is that I hope it will be Georgetown when Georgetown decides to start playing. Okay, well again. that would be, that would be nice. They both they they both need each. I want and Willard knows this. They both need each other, and we need to play each other early because it helps sell season. Well, they need us a lot more than we need them now. 
I, I know the Hoyas could use a little boosted <laughs> attendance. Yeah, you'd think? I mean, if you show an ID, you get in. Um, and, and that's a DC ID, but I think you can fake it. I'm pretty sure you can just walk in and wave, and they won't come after you. Um, which, by the way, I did many years ago at Cole Fieldhouse. But anyway, um, on the USC UCLA. Yeah, so, anyway, is that what, what, what do you do with that answer? I don't, I don't know. I think it depends on who's good at Michigan, Michigan and us because of the bad blood. I know, but it's not – whatever. It's going to take time. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that I, 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 I'm ready – I still want to go back to the ACC and I want to play North Carolina, Duke, and UVA every year. I'm just saying that the one thing that's missing is that, you know, that, that heated history arch rival situation that we well, had that you only get it, because of time. And if you look over the time – in a short period of time, because of the Tours, Joan Howard thing, because of Dickinson, they have some local kids, Phil Martelli, and the way they roll. And that's not a criticism. They work very hard. But they've let it known that they can come to the DMV and get kids. That's, that's on the recruiting trail. That's a little inside stuff. It's building. And I think it's actually, and I really like Joan Howard. He, he, was a good, he was a good wizard. and He's a good man. I like Joan Howard when I see him on the road. And I've got him on podcast, really smart. He knows, though. you got to build hatred to build the rivalry. It's not just Michigan State and Ohio right. State for him. But because of our fertile recruiting ground, which, you know, is the best. Look, look, this is the best farming in the country. Let's right. just face it. That's how it goes. We have the best soil for farming, you know, coming <laughs> out of the DMV. That's well, we, are, we are an ag school. <laughs> and we are an ag school. So, but, like, he, the, I think Michigan actually has the most juice going forward to try to become a rival. So I'll end that note on I hope that we continue to not like Michigan and we split with them and they beat us up there and we beat them down here. And They might not make the tournament this year and we might. So I hope that becomes our rival. Let's go next topic. Up next. By the way, I just want to make sure that pe- that people don't think that <clears throat> saying that Maryland's an ag school was a condescending comment. It actually was an ag school, uh, as was basically most major state universities in this country, certainly in the early part of the 20th century. They were all farming and that's, agriculture schools. But anyway, um, we move on. On USC, that's, and UC- why they, that's why we keep that's why we keep the dairy there. That's why the dairy right. there, and that's why the oh the God, yeah, the, there. the dairy was awesome. I mean, the the chocolate milk and the ice cream that that dairy oh. produced for the for the dining halls was great. Um, on the USC-UCLA front, let me just say, I hate it, but then it, then again, what, what what's the point? This is what it is. I mean, we're going to end up with two, three superpower conferences. I'm glad we're in the Big Ten. By the way, I would just add that, you know, a lot of people have said, man, Wallace Lowe and Kevin Anderson, they, they had this vision. No, they didn't. They just needed to get out of the financial position they were in. And I would say um, specifically, that if Maryland hadn't taken the the, the 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 hadn't made the move, we would have still been a very desirable team for the Big Ten and or the SEC because of the markets, because of the combined Baltimore oh, yeah. and DC oh, yeah. market. No, no. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no. We would have we would have been scooped up by now, yes. regardless. Right. And by the way, Kevin Plank deserves Plank deserves a ton of credit because he pushed the Big Ten. You know, not just for football. He was a pretty smart guy last time I checked, and he had the vision of you know. Plank and some people, they just realized that every hotel, whether it was a Holiday Inn, JW Marriott, or Ritz, didn't matter. Wherever they were in the country had the Big Ten channel. Like, it was just in your face. Yeah. When nobody, you know, you know it was ESPN 1 and ESPN 2 and the Big Ten. That was in every hotel in America, and it was kind of an odd thing. And it just generated this, like, thought process of, like, wow, 
They're like, because that's before. And I know the SEC's done a good job, and we know the Fox has come along and all that. But for a little while, no, like, right. no matter where you went, it was, it was, it was, it was in hotels, so it was like right there, like hey, they're ahead of the curve, and and it's got a beautiful thing. And let's just the U. I the one thing with UC, USC, UCLA, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be like a pro league, Kevin, and you know this. Yeah. And therefore, that means we're going to have these schools that we play a lot more: Rutgers, Penn State. I'm assuming Ohio State. And those guys, you know, that's why I like yeah. the Michigan thing. It's not too far. And then there's going to be the middle, you know, the old Indianapolis corridor to Chicago, you know, the Illinois and all that. And then Minnesota by default, Nebraska are going to have to hang out in L.A., whether they like it or not. Right. Because it's, but it is three hours, and these kids are on charters, these young men. So right. they can do it. What do they do for the other? So it's probably going to be like three different leagues within one. And that's just the way the world is now. You know, that's the way the NBA is. And that's the way hockey is. You don't play everybody twice. And it's, it's just a region. There's going to be three regions. And in that sense, for tennis and lacrosse or hockey and uh, field hockey or whatever, there won't be quite the crazy travel, you think, until the conference champions. But that's okay. And if you have to do it for the money and you have to do it for the glory. But as you said, if it went and done, the third conference at this point, Kevin, and you and I, I'm not, look, I'm not a conference expert, but I am around, you know. And we have Utah very very grateful we have Utah as one of our big schools. That's all we have left. Cal's out, you know, who's just not a dick. Cal and those guys have to be worried because if Washington, Oregon, Stanford get picked off and then they go with the Big 12, well, that's the middle of the country. And then they take some of the ACC. I just wanted to reiterate, I really believe what you said is true, Kevin. Regardless of the shakeup, we were going to get picked up anyway. Yeah. And we were going to have to travel anyway. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so actually for the demographics of our city, like the Big Ten's better than the SEC. Hey, I love, I'm going to Nashville, I'm going to the SEC tournament. But Auburn, Alabama, and Starkville, Mississippi, and all these places, there's not quite the cachet in Washington, D.C. as Chicago, Detroit, what? Columbus. Yeah. You no. know, and, that, and, and that, that's, that's the bottom line. Is we yeah. probably ended up in the best place we could have, because I agree with you. I, I think it's a fascinating thing, whoever can predict where's that third conference coming from. But it's going to be a potpourri of very interesting schools. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, by the way, not that this would have been a a major factor. There are so many alum, Big Ten alums, that live in this market, many more than SEC alums. I mean, you have have Penn State, Michigan. I mean, yeah, exactly. But, um... Uh, again, uh, I didn't plan to go down this path of, you know, what this ends up looking like five years from now or whatever it is. But I, I am curious about the ACC schools, like who gets picked off to be in the SEC, the Big Ten or whatever this third league is. Maybe the third league is mostly ACC members. I don't know. Or it could be Big 12, Pac-12 members. I don't know. But isn't Duke in trouble? Because you know, of football? it's a great question, and, and Gary yells at me all the time about this, and he's right to yell at me, but and I just get so excited about, like, like I just want the Big 12 to steal Kansas because, and I like, you know, Kansas is an Adidas school. There's nothing to do with the shoe business. The Big okay? Ten, you're saying the Big Ten to steal Kansas. The Big Ten should steal yeah, Kansas right. yeah, because it's in the middle and yeah. it's, right. it's, it's close. Yeah, I apologize. No, no, right. I want the Big Ten to steal them from the Big 12. You guys stand corrected. You are smarter than me, and I appreciate Stop it. You. You've always been good at correcting me. Anyway. <laughs> there like, are very, but, but, but very that, few corrections needed. Like, I almost corrected you oh, on God, 76 right. in Philadelphia because I, I, was, I thought you had it confused with 81 in Philadelphia the day Reagan got shot when Indiana beat North Carolina. But you're right. They beat Michigan in Philadelphia as well in 76. Go ahead. Yeah, he 
and Ricky Green. And by right. the way, I still have my apartment in D.C. One block from where the Reagan shooting took place. Right, right there in Connecticut. Right on yeah. Connecticut and Florida. Exactly. Um, let me tell you this, though. It's, 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 I get excited about Duke and Kansas, and Gary just stopped. Jim, 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 stop. He calls me Jim when he gets mad at me. Like, it just doesn't matter. And by the way, Coach K is gone. You know, like, it's already been a year, and it's, I like John Shire. I hope he does well. Roy Williams and Coach K carry more cachet than Hubert Davis and John Shire. I want to see how that shakes out. I think the most, but Bill Self is still the guy. He's the master, you know, and he's got a couple national titles. But as Gary says, other than Kansas having a decent football year this year, who cares about him in football? So no one cares, and he's right. So where do they land? I, I think the Big Twelve has the most juice now. They lost Oklahoma and Texas, and those right. were big. The thing about them is, to me, Kevin, and I'm being around is the ACC is going to be grateful for whatever they get. And you're right. Duke Duke could be in trouble because the Big 12, look, let's do the math. They got both Arizonas and they got Colorado and Utah sitting right there. Those aren't very long trips. Right. So Washington and Oregon have huge markets. You know, Washington has, you know, sometimes people should go and look at the markets, and you know this year in media, like Baltimore's the 25th biggest market. Like Miami's the 38th, you know. Yeah, right, know. right. You got to look like the Bay Area is like fifth, you know, Houston's fourth, you know, Philly's third. Like, it's interesting. So, like, Seattle's a pretty big area in San Francisco. So, you got to look at Stanford and you got to look at Washington. Oregon could be left out. Now, they got the power of the swoosh. So, that's doubtful. But, like, the Big 12's in the driver's seat because Arizona's, both Arizona's have history with them. And Colorado is in their conference forever. And Utah makes sense because Salt Lake's growing rapidly. Like, that's how it's going to go. So who gets picked from the East? You bring up a fascinating point, Kevin, a fascinating point. Probably Virginia would be my number one. My number one pick in the ACC, if I was the Big 12, would be Virginia just based on their geographics. Like, they're going to get the D.C. market. They win. It's a fabulous university with a great reputation. Number two, probably Carolina because they're not a football uh, Carolina would Three, fit with the Big Ten, don't you think? Academically, I'm, 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 right, I'm playing the game. That I am, but stop. That that game's not being played. Okay. The game is. You have to set some parameters to Jeopardy. Okay. okay. What, the game is. What's the game? The game is is that Big Ten stops at sixteen and the SEC stops at sixteen. So I apologize for the music. Okay, fair we're enough. Playing, we're playing. We're playing. So the they're game done. That those two. Say, we don't want to split our pie anymore. We got the West. The SEC has so much money. They just got Oklahoma and Texas. Uh All right, so I I apologize. The game is those two are set. Because I'm going on your thing of who's the third topic. Then I just think it's a fascinating discussion. So now you say that gets to be one more 16. Now, they can go to 20 in the third because they haven't set their goals yet. Well, Clemson's a part of that. Clemson's obviously a part of that. It has to be because of football. But I thought the Big 12 jumped the gun by adding Cincy, BYU, Houston, and Central Florida. They panicked a little because they were in the driver's seat, as you said. Where does this shake out? I guess I guess two more 16-team conferences, and then that's it, if that's what they want for these, because there's 12 bids. But I was just going on. Washington is a huge market. Oregon has the swoosh, and Stanford, Stanford. Then you got the Arizona schools are paired, and then the Colorado-Utah schools are paired. I actually think the first choice would be Colorado and Utah and to go to the Big 12, and then they shut down at 16. Because they've added BYU, Cincy, and Texas, and Central Florida. They've committed to those teams. So that brings them back to 12. So they got room for four more. 
I think if I'm the Big 12, just give me the two Arizonas and give me the two Colorados. What does that do for the East Coast and the West Coast, ACC, Pac-12? I don't know. But I'm just playing the game of 16 is the magic number and because we don't want to split the money up more than that. Do you have a network? Where does this uh, – the ACC network is the weakest. Pac-12 The weakest. Stronger. Swafford blew it. He didn't uh, – why – Did why, he blow it? Was it him? Did he blow that? Was uh, that I mean, why did it take them so long? To see that this was so important, I I, I don't I think they thought the, AC, the ESPN was going to carry him. You know. Okay. Um, the answer, by the way, out of the ACC for whatever new sixteen-team league or twenty-team league is created, where they're picking teams from the ACC, who are North Carolina and Clemson in jeopardy parlance? Because the, you you've got the uh, and I'm giving them UVA, so you have one left. If you're the SEC, you're right. Let's just play that game. We'll play the 20 game. It's probably Florida. What State is Florida right? State? It's Carolina. What is Florida Carolina. State? Yep, it's Florida. Miami's okay. out because they haven't picked it up. Right. So I agree with you. Clemson, Virginia, and Carolina being state schools and that. And where does that leave Duke and all them? And you're, it, you're you're absolutely correct. Yeah. In some basketball league with Georgetown, maybe. Um, all right. Can we – I mean, it, it really – like thinking about Duke and Georgetown being so minimized, it just doesn't – it's a different world that we're, we're – I mean, we're living in the, the Georgetown situation right now. When we took when we took the Maryland job, and I want to, I want to switch to the mid-majors because I think George Mason and GW are – Well, because Georgetown's a mid-major? <laughs> oh, no, that ain't – that Kevin said that. No, I mean, when we got the job at Maryland, Gary Williams used to remind me, Jim, 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 my first two years at Maryland with Walt Williams this year, the first two years, Duke won the title. Right. Then Carolina won the title. And Georgetown was selling the most gear in the country. They were the number one apparel gear. Right. And then the Fab, and then the Fab Five came and challenged them. So Gary's like, we got the two best teams in the country in our league. And in our backyard is Zeeb because Spike Lee and she's got to have it and all that stuff and come out do the right thing and right. like Iverson was it just he was just an icon because of John obviously and Ewing but really Spike Lee helped them but it was it was a moment in time to look back and say like wait a sec we are not going to win because those two are in our league and this other team down the street is the most popular brand that's the most popular brand in the country is georgetown right like remember the silver jackets and all that of course you can go to la i go recruiting in chicago boston la georgetown jackets arizona georgetown jackets everywhere and i'm like well the good news is you can kind of come watch them play if you come to maryland (laughs) that was your pitch come to maryland and you can watch georgetown they're right they're they're two miles away but think about that so we go we, we try to rebuild this program and those are the three the two obviously yeah. iconic programs, Karen, right. but Georgetown, make no mistake about it, and AI was really fun to watch and really good. You know, we got because Joe Smith was on that he's AAU team, but like it, it was kind of crazy to think about where that's gone to. You know, from that positioning of where they were. You know, it was just it was unbelievable. But the most four talked about programs was Michigan because of the Fab Five, AI in Georgetown and Georgetown and Carolina too, and we dealt with all of them. But you know what, Jimmy? Because I, I, I remember having conversations about this with Coach Thompson at the station many times about the Maryland-Georgetown dynamic and why they stopped playing, all that. We won't get into all of that. Um, because Please, I, I, we're I, having a lovely time. I, I, I came to love Coach so much. And, 
you know, he said, you know, we He's a cow, Brad. I love Coach we, we set cow, out Brad. we set out to build a national program. And one of the things that I realized with him Brad. and Ronnie and JT three, they couldn't stand Maryland in the ACC, which always made me feel good, by the way, because they in this town, even though they had a national brand in this area, they were competing with Maryland and the ACC and Maryland had many more alum. Um, it had uh, a tradition which Lefty began, and and it was it, when you guys got there off of the Wade years in the probation. They, it was still a sleeping giant, and all you had to do was you know give people a reason to think you were going to start to win. And of course, because you guys were great coaches and great recruiters, you started to win and you won big, and everybody was back. Um, but I, I, you're right though, and and and, and you're, you're right about this. The, those two games, those two teams, could carry you through a bad season. You could package, you know, Duke with three of your money games in January and December, and Carolina with three of your money games with, you know, I, I don't want to cast dispersions, but teams smaller that you played in November, December, so you could get people to come because they were always going to come to those two games. And and the left hander was one of the great marketing geniuses. Well. We, you know, Sonny Vaccaro's movie's coming out. I just got a great letter from Sonny oh, two weeks ago. Handwritten, of course. Sonny's a legend. Good guy. I've always been really tight. Me, him, and Rob Adies used to pal around this lawyer from D.C. Yep, yep. Really, really smart guy. Well, Sonny Vaccaro helped all the coaches. In Georgetown, Syracuse, and the shoe business, that all helped. Well, we had two of the iconic programs. Whether you like it or not, they were coming into our building so they can carry you through the, through the, the bad times because you... Carolina with these four games, Duke with these four games. Gary was great at that. Package them, sell out the corners, get people interested. And they carried us for, I wasn't there the first two years, but, you know, the the, the wall year when Walt, of course, right. saved us. And then you had the, the growing year of, you know, the Dwayne. We were we had all the young kids, Dwayne, Johnny, X, Mario, Lucas, and stuff. They were just needed help. And then, of course, Joe came. And people forget, Joseph was the national freshman of the year. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's hard to, that's hard to get. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we coach coach used to say, and he whenever I would say, you play every year. I don't care where you play it. You can play it at Capital One and split the tickets down the middle. You'll sell it out. You'll have twenty thousand because certainly you'll get ten thousand Maryland people there at the game. You play it on the Saturday of the Army Navy game where there's no college football to compete with. There's no well, NFL. Like that. That's a good one. That's you know, and, and you, I like that. but you know what he would say is he would say to me when we played them, you know, on thanks on on uh, on that Friday at US Air Arena, it wasn't sold out. And I said to him, I said. It was a Friday morning following Thanksgiving, and Maryland was coming off probation. And, oh, by the way, there were about 16,000 in the building. Unfortunately, 12,000 were rooting for Maryland because that was a home court environment that day. Um, and uh, and I said it, 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 we would debate this all the time. He, he was he, it was it was great. Anyway, I, we we just got so into all of this other stuff like we always do. But I did want to ask you. Well, let me just ask you this about Maryland's team this year. What do you think that their best case is when they get into the tournament? Can they win a game? Can they win two games? What, what do you like about uh, them, and what are you worried man. about? Everything's wide open, but I'm I, I'm always extremely I'm an optimistic guy. I'm extremely optimistic, but I'm a tad bit tad bit skeptical on how far we can go. Just because we've been so good at home, and we know that's over in the tournament. Okay, the home thing's over. Yeah. But my optimism arrives from 
the day I was sitting with some of our friends up there in the Ravens game, we were we, we have some friends up there in Baltimore that have keen interest in the Maryland basketball program for a long time, as right. we know, and watching them dismantle a really good Miami team and beating St. Louis, who's really good. You know, I, I, Travis can really coach Travis Ford. Yeah, I, they beat GW this year. They were good. They won at GW, and I got to see them up in person. And me and Chris Caputo said that St. Louis team's really good when they make shots, and if Yuri Collins comes back and stuff. So they beat them in a two-game tournament on a weekend. And Krzyzewski, I learned later, was the king of this. It's just a two-game tournament. And then the next weekend, we got another two-game tournament. And then the next weekend, we got a new... You know, sometimes you get caught up in one game at a time, surviving it. But Krzyzewski, I learned, was the king of... This is a two-game tournament. We're looking at who we have to beat to play the winner of that next game. Well, we did that this year. I know it was back-to-back days, yeah. but... Right. Willard, Willard gets a lot of credit. They were nervous about playing St. Louis as they should be. And Providence was in that tournament. It was going to right. Providence and Miami are going to be single digit teams. Yeah, they destroyed well, they Miami. We destroyed them. So they, they, we, that, that is my eternal hope. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want Dante Scott to pick it up a little. I know it's yep. been a transitioning year for him. Young's been great. Hart's been great. Reese has been great. Martinez is doing his best off the bench. Donald Carey, he seems like he's, you know, He's, he's a nice kid trying. He just he makes some shots at home, but he seems like he's struggling as of late. And then, but if Dante gets a little hot in the game, you can beat anybody. I'm just thrilled we're going the tournament from where we were. Right. And it's it is. And I'm not sure this isn't just coaches talk. We played Purdue as tough as anybody, and then we beat them. We played them twice. That's the number three team in the country. Okay, I'm, I don't make the rankings. Sasser's really good at Houston. Jarris Walker's a tremendous freshman. He's from up here in Baltimore. Kid that went to IMG. But I've seen them. They're beatable. Gonzaga doesn't have the fun. UCLA, we caught them on a bad day, but they're struggling to score. I'd love to be in UCLA's bracket. I want to win a game. You'd like to be in their bracket. Yeah. They're so seasoned. They're so seasoned. Yeah. They struggle offensively, though. Mm -hmm. And when we can hang with them, we just got off to a bad start. But I don't really want to play Alabama. They seem to be the most talented team. Well, they may not have, with what's going on, they may not have their best player. We'll see. Well, and, well, wait. We're waiting for the coach to comment on that. You yeah. might be waiting for a month down there. They have a little different media policy down there. Believe <laughs> it or not, it doesn't matter what. Yeah. It doesn't matter that somebody actually passed away in the incident. And I don't mean to be flippant about it, but I just thought that was funny the way you put it. Yeah, they have a slightly different <laughs> way of handling things down there in Tuscaloosa. But go ahead. I mean, you know, we're going to send down Joe Pesci for the you know lawyer thing. My cousin Jane. It's and it's and it's not a flip comment. It's like. It's like, how does that just like, we we live in an area where if that ever happened remotely up here, you know, it'd be like the end of the program for the yeah, rest of the year. And right. right. Rightfully so. You know, whatever. But let's just move on to basketball. Let's stay in basketball. I'm interested to see who gets in. You know, Howard Bison have a good chance to get in locally for us because the Miak's wide open. Now Morgan just beat him. But George Mason with Aduro. Chris Caputo's done a fantastic job at GW. I don't think they have the horses to make a four-game run. They don't have the bench. Kimmy English and them are getting healthy. American East had a really good year. They've hit some bumps, but the Patriot League's wide open. Mike has as good a big man as any. Like, it's going to be real. Navy and Edgicellus deserve a shout-out. 
They're in second place in the Patriots. He's got the, they beat Towson <laughs> in overtime. Towson can play. You're, you're the best. UNBC. Can I? Okay. Well, I go to. Can I? Can I, I, I know. I know. I know. So All right. I, I have. Well, we got to give our young. We got to give our little guys. I get it. I get it. I get it. But but we have an audience that we we're, we're that's listening to us and and we're we're now appealing to just a few of them. I want to ask you, by the way, speaking of appealing to just a few of them, um, but it, this is uh, this is a passion of mine. Do you, when you are, you're watching every Wizards game this year. I actually think that they are pretty good when they're healthy. I mean, they're not Boston or Milwaukee in the East. I understand that. But, like, I've watched them some nights when you get Porzingis going and Kuzma going and Beal, who I thought had one of the best closeout games I've ever seen him have against Minnesota um, last week. Um, how am I wrong to think that if they got into a best of seven against anybody but Boston or Milwaukee, that they'd have a chance? Uh, absolutely. By the way, I'm going to close. The Terps are winning a game this year in the NCAA. Okay. Is what right. I'm going to go Good. with. Glad and, and we hope it's someplace close. So we go. That's closed. I think they think they've done a great job. Do they have enough to win two games? You know, that second game can get tricky. It's but matchups. Point, well, yeah. They might play. Well, they they might be a seven over a ten, and then they instead of playing the two, they you know it's it's you never know. You could end up playing the fifteen. Well, it's funny. I, I, I'm sorry. Instead of play- no, 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 stay right where you are. That's why I want to be a six because the fourteen can beat the three. Right, yeah. The next thing you know, you're playing. Yeah. You're playing. You know, you're playing Hawaii. Florida Atlantic. Or you're, well, you're playing. So yeah, right. See, see that was the tourist no, 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 You, know, you no. play those two teams. I know, that's why hey, I threw it out there. He didn't make the match. He didn't. Make uh, the he match. right. Exactly. By the way, he got that, beat that, by LSU at the buzzer, a team that had the highest salary cap that year with a coach that was just outwardly cheating. But anyway, can we can just can you stick with this the topic at hand? Uh, they're what, awesome. The Wizards. The Wizards are nine and five with the big three. Yeah. That translates to fifty and thirty-two. Right? Can you imagine if we're fifty and thirty-two? That would be. I've been doing this five years. I want to get to five hundred. Forty-two and forty-two is the goal because that's definitely in the playoffs. Yes, Kuzma's awesome. He's a fashion guy. He's cool looking. He's got smooth. He has game and can shoot threes. Forget all that. That dude plays hard. Kuzma's a tall guy. He can defend the two, three, and four. He'll play the five. He he works his butt off, often on the court. Kuzman's outstanding. I love the guy, but he plays D and he can switch on people. He'll take you inside. I love what Kuzman's doing. Beal is settling in. He was injured early in the year. He's had a tough little go of it. Beal's coming around. If Beal's your second or third option, forget it. He's one of the best in the league. Now he's starting to go back to being the real deal. Beal, he can take over a game. And Porzingis is, looks very comfortable to me. We were all worried about Porzingis playing. He's been fantastic. He seems happy. He's helping Denny Avdia, which is really important because he's a six nine guy off the bench that can do a lot of different stuff. You wait. JT3 said this to me. One day it's all going to come together for Denny and watch out. Well, Porzingis is helping him, guide him to having it all come together. Kenneth Nunn's been a good pickup. I thought Rui, I liked Rui and wanted to keep him because of his scoring. I was wrong. Tommy was right. Yeah, Kendrick Nunn has been a nice pickup in yeah. the Rui thing, let alone this. But the flow of the game, the defensiveness of the game, the sharing of the balls improved, and they're nine and five without Rui and with the big three playing all the time. That's a really winning formula. The Nets are a mess. The Knicks can't score. They're very good. The Knicks, don't get me wrong. The Hawks just fired the coach that makes them go to practice and play a defense. We'll see how that works out since he only got him to the conference finals doing it his way. But coaches aren't in charge anymore in the NBA, and that's okay. Players have a lot of juice. 
So you got the Hawks with me, McMillan gone. I really like the Knicks, and I think Josh Hart, Sidwell Friends Josh Hart, yep. by the way, yep. was a fantastic pickup. The Heat, Butler's an ex, Butler's Lex Luthor times five. I love that guy. He can just win any game, okay? But, yes, I want to see us get in. I'm hoping. I don't know if we have enough time. Remember, think about this, everyone. There's 25 NBA games left. 25! That's how many games Maryland has played. Okay? I know. That's, I know. that's a crazy. Yeah. There's a whole other season left. Sure. But Porzingis with Denny Combo, Beal becoming much more comfortable and better with everybody and being off, obviously, you know, one of the best. Beal, to me, best two-point scorer in the league. And then I just love Kuz because he brings a lot of swag and somebody's got to wear that on their chest. You know, someone's got to have the S on their chest and he seems to want to do it out in front and center, which helps Bradley Beal, who's also a willing passer. But you guys... And then the combination point guard thing has worked. It's just when DeLon Wright's out there with Monte Morris, one's small and can score, Monte, one's tall and can score. By the way, they both have a Kuzma connection. Monte Morris grew up with Kuzma in Flint, Michigan. DeLon Wright went to Utah when they went to the Sweet 16 with, with uh, Kuzma. So that's good because they're, they're, they're all like, there's little factions that all get along. And I believe in a happy, the bird flies highest when he's happy. And they've done a really good job. And all of a sudden, if Kisper can make some jumpers and he's better off the bench. Mm-hmm. And Gafford, I just love Gafford. He's just like a, he's just a Gafford throwback, tough guy, athletic, all that crap. No, he likes to play in the paint. He'll dunk on, he'll block shots. He catches lobs, all these crazy lobs they throw. But I really like Gafford's energy and enthusiasm. And all of a sudden, what I've just described to you is a pretty versatile and a pretty talented and a pretty damn good team. Now, can they stay together? There's 25 games left. Porzingis is the key. He never plays that many games until he came to Washington. But I think he's really happy here. And I think he's playing because, hey, he is healthy and he's grown up a little and all that kind of stuff. And New York can be tough and Cuban in your ear every day. It's probably not the easiest thing in the world. So he's really found a home here. But I'm impressed with this team. And I think they can make a run. And Philly with Embiid until they improve. Look, I like Embiid, but they don't seem to quite have enough around them. Right. I I think other and I don't care if we play Boston and Milwaukee now. Milwaukee scares me because well, we, you're, you're not you're, you're not winning four out of seven against either one of those two teams. Probably not, but you could actually match up with Boston a little better. Giannis is just that guy that we yeah. don't have anybody like LeBron, like Michael Jordan, right. like Larry Bird, like Luka Doncic. There's just nobody like like yeah. Tatum and Brown are really good, but they're not right. unicorn. This guy's insanely good. All right, I got I got I got match up. I got to run. But, but let's go with this. Yeah. It's great. We had a good time. Yeah. We got a little pro. I, a little I've, got, I've got a trivia question for you to end it. That's it. All right. So we, we got 30 seconds. Yes. Yes. Brendan. Yes. Can, can, you, can you name. Can you name. Elite eight. Elite eight. Can you name one of the all-time great musicians, Canadian, that Rick James played with in a band in the 60s? I'm going Neil Young. Oh, my God. You nailed it. The Minor Birds. Goodbye. They were briefly in Goodbye. a band together. Goodbye. I will, I will talk to you later. Uh, that's Jimmy Patsos. <laughs> Hello, call girl in the sand. Goodbye. You are incredible. Uh, you've got a heart of gold there, Jimmy. Um, coming right back at you. Uh, thanks, man. I always appreciate this. Uh, looks like he hung up already. Um, he's done with me. And I am done with the show today. Hope you enjoyed it. Back tomorrow with Tommy. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.